we are continuing our series, Sent on Purpose, where we've been looking through uh, stories from some of the heroes of faith in the Old Testament. Up to this point, we've talked about Moses going to the burning bush, and now he was called uh, to do all of the great things that he did through that burning bush story. But then also how Moses came up with excuses, and how oftentimes when we're called to something much greater than ourselves, we come up with a lot of excuses on why we shouldn't or why we can't. And God always meets our excuses with answers. We also talked about Joshua, how he was called to be the next leader of the Israelites after Moses. And he had a, a very, some very big shoes to fill with that. And he was told over and over again, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. And so when you're called to do something by God, whether it is in ministry, vocationally, like pastoring, like missionaries, or if it's simply teaching in a classroom or doing different things in your job and making the glory of God known wherever you're at, wherever you're called to, you got to be strong and courageous. Today, we're looking at the prophet Elijah. And even though it's not his calling story, it's something that you can expect to face when you're walking in your call. So 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat by under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, the angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. He got up and he ate and he drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave to spend the night. If you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day and for this opportunity to learn more about you, to worship you together here as the church. Lord, I pray that as we kind of walk through the different phases of our calling, that you speak to the people the message that you need them to hear. Lord, don't let me get in the way of what you have for them, but Lord, speak through me as you always do and as you always know how. And Lord, speak to our hearts. Open up our hearts to receive that message today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how many of you, show of hands if you want to, like to play board games, right? We like to play board games. Well, Chloe can attest to this. I am relatively lucky at board games. I'm pretty lucky. I don't always win, but I have what, what people call beginner's luck and that the first time that I ever play a board game, there's like a good, what, 80% chance that I'm going to win that game. 
And it's all beginner's luck. In fact, uh, one time we visited our friends in Louisville, and they played this game. I've never heard of it before. I don't even remember what it was called. Settlers of Catan? Settlers of Catan. Anyone played that game before? Yeah, I'd never heard of it before. I, I was much like my grandmother over there, or grandmama, sorry. Uh, grandmama over there, he was like, I, I don't, I've never heard of this. They explained to me the rules, and I was like, sure. I mean, I'll, I'll just ask questions along the way, and I won the game. So uh, I do have <laughs> very much beginner's luck. The second time that I played, I lost very horribly. Um, but I, I'm pretty lucky at games. But there's one board game, it's not even on the board, but I'm terrible at it. I, I'm really bad at it, and it's Jenga. Anyone else? Do you like Jenga? Do you like to play Jenga? Have you played it before? Know what it is? Yeah, so I'm bad at it. (laughs) Um, Jenga, in case you've been living under a rock and you don't know what it is, the whole idea is that there's this tower that's being built with blocks. And um, each player takes a turn taking out a block and stacking it on top. And the whole idea is you don't want it to fall down. Because if it falls down, then you lose. Jenga requires a lot of hand and eye coordination, steady hand skill, and a lot of luck. And I don't have any of those with Jenga. Um, the the hand eye coordination comes from the reason that I chose to play soccer and not basketball or baseball or any of the other sports. Um, I don't really have the steadiest of hands, uh, but skill and luck sometimes I have with me. But I'm terrible at Jenga. But what happens every time that I've played? Beginning of the game is super easy. You, you can basically pick whatever block you want to for the most part. And every block that comes out, every player that goes, it's like everything's going to plan. Right? They pick out a block and you're like, well, I can pick out this one to balance it back this way. Or simply there's no blocks being picked at the bottom. So you might pick one at the bottom, just throw everyone off. And everything seems to be going to plan. But usually somewhere in the middle of the game, in the middle of the tower, there's, it's balancing on one block in the middle. You know what I'm talking about, right? Someone, you know, they take the outside one, and then some other person just takes the other one, and now it's balancing on one block, and then it's your turn. It's always my turn after that happens. And it's every little movement that you make is going to make that tower wobble just a little bit, right? Just to give you a little bit of fear. And and you take those blocks out, and it gets a little bit more risky, but you're still working, and it's still moving. And then the three-year-old in the room comes and just knocks the whole tower down on your turn. It's always my turn when that happens, so then I lose. But every move seems risky, and then eventually, either you make a wrong move, someone comes in and knocks it down who wasn't even playing the game, or it just falls down on its own. But when that happens... Uh, at least for me, because I'm really competitive. I want to know how to get better at Jenga. I just can't. But I, I'm always like, you know, maybe I should have picked that one instead of this one, or I, I should have gone for that one. I was eyeing that one, but, you know, I didn't pick it, so it doesn't matter now. Uh, but, you know, next time that we play, if I'm in the same situation, I'm picking that one instead. And then sometimes it's like, that was literally my only option. That's all I had. Like, it was all middle blocks until you got to the top, and then, you know, you just had to pick one. But either way... You sit there in defeat because you lost. It's a lot like our calling. When you start walking with it, it's great. 
Everything just seems to be falling in line. Everything's going to plan. There's a few little things that make you a little nervous, but then God still provides and the tower is still up. Everything is happening. Nothing very bad is happening. Everything's running smoothly until one moment it comes crashing down. And sometimes you're like, I I should have done the other thing. I should have known that I was supposed to do this and not this. Or, um, you know, I, I don't know what else I could have done. I thought this is what God wanted me to do. I thought I was walking in my call. But yet my, my tower continued to fall. Fear sets in. Uncertainty sets in. Anxiety sets in. And our faith is challenged. You see, whenever we start walking in our call, eventually our faith will be challenged. And this is exactly what Elijah is going through in chapter 19. He hears some bad news. His world falls apart. His Jenga tower of faith falls and crashes to the ground. And he believes that all is lost. So he runs away. Now, if you know the story of Elijah, at this point, you're thinking he's crazy. Because you're like, "Why, why would you act like that? Why would you be like that? Because God's done so many amazing things in just two short chapters. Well, relatively short chapters. But two, two chapters, God's done all of these amazing things. And then chapter 19, he hears one negative word. And everything just falls apart. So let me tell you a few of the things that happened. Elijah, in chapter 17, gets this prophetic word from the Lord that there will be no rain or dew for the next few years. He tells the king and the people to prepare because there's going to be a famine on the land. And through the famine, Elijah is taken care of by God. God, in in one account, gives Elijah food and water from ravens. So ravens are, are taking food and they're delivering it to Elijah. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never had a bird come to my front door with a bag of groceries. And so God is providing for Elijah in a very different way than he provides for me today. If I had a a raven come to my front door, I would see it on a little ring camera, come to the front door and drop a bag of groceries, I'd be praising God for one. But secondly, I I would just think, I would be in pure amazement that that happened. But this physically happened to Elijah during a severe famine. And and the Lord provides for that. But then this brook that he was sitting by that had water, it had fresh drinking water, it eventually dried up because there's no rain to replenish it. There's no dew to replenish it. So when it dried up, God told him to go to, to Zarephath where a widow would take care of him. And he goes to Zarephath, he finds this widow and the widow takes care of him. Exactly how God told him it would happen. And he, he lives... Uh, with, this, with this widow for a while, she's taking care of him, and her son becomes really ill. And he continues to get worse and worse every single day, and it seems like he's on the path to death because they don't have modern medicine. They had no way to treat him. And Elijah calls on the name of the Lord, and the Lord healed her son. So not only, just in chapter 17, not only has Elijah been provided for by God, He's also performed miracles from God. God performed miracles through Elijah, and he's seeing and witnessing all of these things happening. Right? So already, chapter 17, God is doing some miraculous things that most of us probably haven't experienced in our life. But then he continues. 
he encounters 450 prophets of Baal and challenges them to God versus God, God versus Baal. And these prophets, he tells them, he, they both set up two altars. One altar is dedicated to the God of Baal, which isn't really a God. And then, and then the other one was to our God, the, the one true God. And Elijah tells the prophets of Baal, he said, pray to your God, pray to Baal and tell him to, to light the altar. If he's real, he'll do it because you're offering something, a, a, a ram or yeah, a, a ram there. So, so these prophets of Baal, this is the Baal side, I guess. Um, I'll just say that right now. But prophets of Baal, they're, they're prophesying, they're praying, they're screaming out to God, they're, they're even cutting themselves because that was a sign that they were sacrificing some of their life, some of their blood for this God, and, and nothing happens. And Elijah is over here looking at them, and he's mocking them. Right, think about 450 against one. All of Israel's watching this, and Elijah keeps looking at them and saying, how about you shout louder? Maybe if you cut a little bit deeper, it might work. Or maybe your God is just on vacation right now. He'll be back in a few weeks, and then he'll light it. Right? He's mocking them because he knows that Baal's not real. He knows that nothing's not going to happen because he has that type of faith. But then when it comes to his turn, they're like, well, well, how about your God? Try it with your God. Pray to your God. He said, I will, but first, I want you to soak it three times. So they soaked the altar, they soaked the wood three times to make sure that it was, there was no way that you're ever going to be able to light it. And he calls on the name of the Lord, and fire falls from heaven, burns up the altar, and all of Israel falls down and starts worshiping God. But all the prophets of Baal started to flee. And Elijah rounded them all up. This is what they don't teach you in Sunday school. Rounded them all up, gathered them all up, and then had them all killed and executed. Now that might seem a little bit harsh because I know how we are as Christians. We're like, well, maybe they have a chance. Well, God told them to do it. And when God said that, the reason that these prophets need to be killed is because they're false prophets. They, they're the, the main people that led the people of Israel astray. And God wanted to prevent that from happening again. So all these prophets are killed. But that wasn't the last of the miracles. You see, what also happens is we find this story, uh, a really powerful story of Elijah on a mountainside. He tells a servant to go up. He said, there's a sound of abundance of rain. I want you to go up and look for clouds. He goes up, finds nothing. Goes up, finds nothing. Does this seven times. On the seventh time, he, he sees a cloud as small as a man's hand. He comes down and he reports. And he's like, there's a cloud, there's a cloud. They haven't seen a cloud in years. And Elijah tells, tells the king, he's like, get in your chariot and go because the rain's coming and it's gonna come quickly and fast. You gotta go tell the people. So it starts raining. And that's a miracle in itself that Elijah's prophecy, prophetic word that he got a few years ago is now coming true. But here's something that I always find now so interesting because I skipped over it for so long in Scripture. And it's in the last few verses of 1 Kings chapter 18. This is like the last miracle before everything falls apart. Meanwhile, this is verse 45. The sky grew black with clouds and wind rose. A heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel, which in the verse before is in a 
chariot, which was a horse-drawn chariot. Verse 46, I think this is awesome. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. <laughs> this guy, Ahab's already gone in his horse-drawn chariot, not going slow. They're trying to beat the rain so that they can tell the people that the rain's coming. So you can just imagine this scene if it was in a movie, right? You've got a horse-drawn chariot, and this horse is going as fast as he can, all one horsepower that he's got. And he's going, and he's going. I, I think one person laughed at that. That, was, that made me feel a little bit better. One horsepower. Okay, so he's, he's going as fast as he can, and then here's Elijah. He tucks in, his, and he just starts taking off and zooms past all of them. I can't run that fast. Like, that's, that's awesome. That's amazing. So he outruns this chariot with horses. And what this shows is that God provided time after time. He gave Elijah victory after victory after victory. He performed miracles through Elijah. Yet in chapter 19, everything changes. Jezebel, the queen of the northern kingdom of Israel, who was a very evil queen, sent a messenger to Elijah saying that she was going to make sure that he died within 24 hours. And upon hearing this, the Jenga tower of faith that Elijah had fell down. He's like, I walked exactly where God was wanting me to and they're still not going to repent. They're still not going to change and I'm going to die because of it. So Elijah runs away into the wilderness and he prays to God that he would die. All of these amazing things that God has done was lost in an instant. Elijah was left hopeless, broken, and without faith. To the point that he would rather die, die alone, than to go back and face what he was facing. Now we would be so quick to look at Elijah and think, Elijah, you're just being a little drama queen. Like, do you not remember all of the things that God has done for you? You had no business pouring three buckets of water all over your altar, and it still burst out into flames. You had no business going up to a mountainside and seeing a cloud, and call, you didn't cause it to rain. You didn't provide for yourself. God provided for you during the famine. We would say to Elijah, look at what God has done for you. Why are you acting this way? Clearly God has some favor over your life and clearly God is going to take care of you. Why do you believe otherwise? But I believe that we would act the same way because sometimes it's really hard to remember the blessings of God when you're facing and feeling the attacks of the enemy. See, when God, or when the enemy is attacking us, putting fear and doubt and anxiousness inside of our hearts, it's hard for us to look at the blessings. Sometimes it's hard to look at those blessings because we feel guilty for it. We feel like we should be sad. We feel like we should, we should feel a certain way because we're the ones that messed up. But it's hard to look at those blessings. And honestly, I don't know about you, but with me, it's so much easier for me to tell my friends to trust in God than for me to actually trust in God. It's so much easier for me to look at my friends and my family and say, hey, I know that life is hard right now, but God has provided in this way, 
He's taking care of you in this situation. Why would he not do the same? God, throughout all of Scripture, and I've read uh, cover to cover several times, I, I, I look at that and I see the character of God. God is not going to leave you nor forsake you. He's going to take care of you. So you don't need to worry. You don't need to fear because God is here. But then when something's going on in my life, it's hard for me to tell me that. Because I'll tell my friends and my family and my congregation all day long, you just got to trust in God and, and he'll be there. He'll provide for you. I know it's hard. I know it doesn't feel like it, but he will. But then when something hard comes in my life, I'm like, God, why? Why, why me? Why are you doing this to me? Why have you left me? Why, why did you allow this to happen in my life? Why? And, and I believe that you're like that too. But I want you to see that's exactly what Elijah is facing. He's like, God, why, why would you even have me do all of those things if it's not going to mean anything? He knows Queen Jezebel. He knows that she's relentless, she's ruthless, and that she has King Ahab wrapped around her finger. She can send armies to go and find, seek, and kill Elijah, and probably could put a bond on his head so that anyone in Israel could get some type of cash reward if they would just kill Elijah and bring the dead body to Jezebel. Elijah knows this, and he knows that he can't face this alone. He will never survive it, and he might as well die in peace and at the hands of his own people. If you think about it in a church context, if uh, you guys ever got like super mad at me, and you're like, we're just going to kill him. Right? We're, we're going to kill him dead. Right? I would feel so betrayed, by the way. Just so you know, I would feel betrayed just like Elijah felt betrayed. And I'll be honest, I probably would have left the church. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to stay here if I know that you guys are planning to kill me. So, <laughs> but this is what Elijah is thinking. He's like, my own people are trying to kill me. My own family, my own friends, they're going to try and kill me if I go back. Why would I ever go back? I'd much rather die alone, peacefully, than to face what home has for me. But if we build our faith only on the blessings and the good times that God provides, when the hard time comes, our faith will crumble. If our whole faith is based on all of the good things that God has done, then when bad things happen, our faith is going to crumble. It's going to fall down. If our faith is only built on the things that go right, when things start going wrong, I will lose my faith and I will wonder what I did. And there's some uh, preachers out there, we call them prosperity preachers. They're not good for you. They're not good for your spiritual health because they will say when things go wrong, it's because your faith is, your faith is dead. But that's not true. It's not biblical. Sometimes you're walking in faith and he will lead you through a valley. It's not always mountaintops. It's not always sunshine and rainbows. Sometimes you can do exactly what God is wanting you to and your faith is still gonna crumble because it's still gonna be challenged. But if my faith is built on the promises of God, if my faith is built on the knowledge of God that he will take care of me, he will provide for me, and if Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is really true, then yes, all things 
will work together for the good of those who love him, love God, and are called according to his purpose. Then it doesn't matter if it's good or bad. I know that he's going to provide. If it's good or bad, he's going to work all things for my good because he's that type of God. He loves me and he loves you that much. But we have a tendency as people to worry about things and to fear things, especially things that we have no idea how they're going to turn out. This worry brings fear and anxiousness about the uncertainty of what the future will hold. But listen to me very carefully. What you worry about and fear the most is often a sign of where you trust God the least. What you worry about and fear the most is often a sign where you trust God the least. What Elijah trusted God the least in was that God would take care of the armies and the people who he was about to face. So he ran. When we experience hard times in our life, it often reveals where we lack faith in God to take care of us so that our faith can be rebuilt. We need to lean on God, especially in our calling, because if you don't follow God, if you don't lean on God in your calling, I promise you, you will be consumed by the attacks of the enemy and you'll be overwhelmed with fear and worry and you'll eventually quit trying. You might not quit your job. You might not quit what you were doing, but you won't try to bring God glory through it. It's easy for pastors to fall in this too because so many people just expect the preacher to come up here, preach a good sermon on Sunday, and then the rest of the week they don't care. And it's so easy for pastors to walk in their calling, still look like they're walking in their calling, but throughout the week they're not walking in their calling because they're doing the bare minimum. It's my goal to never be like that. If I'm ever like that, then Chloe's going to slap me. We've already had this deal. She's just going to slap me until I start working hard again. But we need to lean on God. And this is where we find Elijah, all alone, giving up, asking God that he would die. But I love how the story unfolds because just like God isn't done with you, if you still have breath in your lungs, God wasn't done with Elijah. The Lord sent an angel to give him food and water twice, and he ate and he drank and he regained his strength. He traveled for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb. This Mount Horeb, if you remember from a few weeks ago, is the same mountain where Moses received his call. And on the very other side of the mountain is where Moses also received the Ten Commandments. He goes to this mountain of God. He travels 40 days and 40 nights to encounter God. He goes into a cave. This is the rest of chapter 19. And the Lord says to Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah says, I've been zealous for you. I've done everything that I was supposed to. But the Israelites, they're trying to kill me. They've rejected you. They've destroyed your altars. There's no one there that loves you anymore. There's no one there that's dedicated to you. I'm the only one. You might as well just go ahead and kill me and get it over with. And the Lord replies to him in a very similar way that he does to Moses when Moses is standing to get the Ten Commandments. He says, go out and stand by the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, if you know this story, you know where the rest of this goes. There's a wind that tears the mountains apart. It's a very strong, loud wind, but God wasn't in the wind. And then following the wind was an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a fire, but then God was also not in the fire. And after the fire, there is a gentle whisper. And hearing the whisper, Elijah covered his face, presented himself to God, 
And God told him to go back where he came from, to go and face what he reigned from in the first place. Part of what God was doing here for Elijah was rebuilding his faith. If you notice, three of the four things that were on the mountain were destructive. The wind was destructive because it tore the mountains apart. The earthquake was destructive because it, it cracks the foundations of the earth. The fire was destructive because anything that, you know, if you have ever touched fire before, you know that it is destructive and it can hurt and it can destroy things. But a whisper does not destroy. So Elijah knew that God was not going to allow him to be destroyed. But rather he was calling him into a deeper relationship with him. The thing about a whisper is that you have to lean in to hear. It's not super loud. You have to lean in to hear just like you have to lean in to the presence of God. And when you find your faith challenged in your call, Elijah would say, lean in. Lean in and listen for the voice of the Lord. It might take you 40 days and 40 nights to get there, but lean in to the presence of God because God will do the same. He's not done with you. He still has a call and a purpose for your life. And it's part of my job to help you find that purpose if you don't know what it is. It's part of my job to help you navigate your purpose and your calling if you're having trouble with that. But as long as you're alive here on earth, know that you have a purpose and a calling on your life. And God wants to do some amazing things through, through you and for you. So I would encourage you, if your faith is struggling today, you can come up to the altar, front row, sit wherever you want to, find someone to pray with. Let them be the encouraging voice in your life to say, remember how God took care of you in this situation? Remember how God take, took care of you, he provided for you, how this miracle happened? We need those people in our life. So it's, it's my prayer that you find your purpose. But not only find your purpose, but live out your purpose through your calling. And throughout this series, as we continue on, we got two more weeks of this, that you would go and be sent for the calling that God has for you.